Hello, and welcome to Learn to Love, a show where we talk all about things you can do to build a better, stronger relationship. Our team is powered by passionate volunteers looking to bring forward the best of what they know to help you stay together. Love is hard, but it doesn't have to be. Our podcast, articles, and videos feature insights from the latest research on relationship psychology, intimacy, conflict resolution, parenting, and more. You don't need to go in blind and make the same mistakes as those around you. Check us out on our brand new website at learnlove.ca or listen on our podcast, the Learn to Love podcast. Thank you for joining us in our vision to create healthier relationships and stronger families. Hello and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to be welcoming you back to another episode of the Learn to Love podcast. In this episode, we're going to get really deep into some specific tools that we can use to deal with conflict. Really interesting things like agreeing with part of the statement or repeating back the key points while trying to withhold judgment. We're going to learn about how we can not defend or deny to avoid looking and feeling childish in the interaction and so much more. I'm so excited to welcome you here to this episode. It's a little bit of a different perspective on our last episode. So in the first two episodes, we focused on some more broad ideas in general. We talked about some neuroscience, some mirror neurons. We spoke about how we can use limits to prevent most fights, about the importance of venting, that we need to get the word out by just speaking about something we are processing it. And often when our partners come to us, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for the opportunity to process. We're going to take a bit of a different approach in this episode. We're going to talk a lot about findings from the book, Stop Walking on Eggshells by Paul Mason and Randy Kreger. It's a brilliant book on dealing with conflict and has so many helpful tips. So I'm really excited to be sharing these with you today on the show. Just an update from our blog and our other departments. Uh, We have a number of new blog posts that have been released this week, and we have a couple more that are going to come to you over the next couple of days, specific to conflict resolution. So if you liked the the content from the last episodes where we talked about neuroscience and the brain and the consciousness car. We have a ton of stuff on the blog there. We have pictures of um, different parts of the brain showing you how they work, how they interact together. We go into a lot of detail on the physiology of the stress response. We talk about the neurotransmitters, the hormones, the biomechanical response. We look at it from an anthropological perspective too and talk about how it may have aided harems before civilization, small groups of people, um, and so much more. Check it out on our blog. Another thing that is on our blog is we have a ton of 
role play examples too that are getting there. So if you want to put your skills to the test, you can go to the blog and we have pictures of conflict and we go through hypothetical scenarios, kind of like we do on the podcast, where you can decide how you would react and then keep following through the script that we've prepared for you to see how it plays out, which is really, really exciting. Another thing that we're working on is that Udemy course that's in development Um, It's going to be called Love Smarter, Not Harder. And for that course, we're working on a number of quizzes too. So we're going to put those quizzes onto the website as well. Not the same ones, um, but we're going to use the idea to make more quiz, more engaging style content for you. That's what we're really looking for is to drive more engagement with you. Another thing that we're doing um, for the blog, I'm so excited, we've been working super, super hard on this all week, is to make accelerated mobile pages. So if you are browsing from your phone, we've made super, super, super fast pages. Uh, if If you're a bit of a techie, we stripped all the JavaScript from these pages um, using uh, some some software that Google offers, and um, uh, we spent a lot of time designing those pages. They're super super fast. We're getting like near perfect page load scores um, on our Google development panel, which we're, we're so excited. That will hopefully bring us up in the search rankings. Um, and also make your experience a little bit more enjoyable if you just want a really really fast experience. Now. If you like all the functionality from the original site, um, like on a mobile phone, we have a reading meter. It shows you like on the top how far you move through the page. Um, also, like your, your reading length. Um, you can get that as well just through using the, the classic editor. So there'll be, uh, sorry, the classic viewer. So there'll be a button there, like you're, by default, if you come from mobile, you're going to enter that super fast page with like really low uh, low times. And then if you want the traditional one with the read meter and stuff, um, there'll be a button there. So we're just, we're super excited uh, that we're working on all this and getting it out to you. Uh, we'd love to hear your feedback. If there's anything specific you want to share, you can reach out to us at contact at learnlove.ca contact at learnlove.ca. And remember to check out our website, learnlove.ca. We're all about helping you stay together. Now, let's get on to this episode, specific tools that we can use to deal with conflict, all about our conflict resolution series. Following these tools and some examples that we're going to share with you, we'll talk about some of the biggest reasons why conflicts persist, like things that you just can't accommodate on, things that just keep coming up and you thought you dealt with it, but it comes up again. Um, That's going to come from insights from John Gottman, all about dreams um, and passions. I'm so, so excited to share that with you. So let's begin. Conflict. We discussed so far that it is a very strong physiological response when we feel angry. We spend a lot of time talking about anger. Our muscles tense. 
Our breathing picks up, our eyes open so we can take in more light. The breathing so we have more oxygen in our bodies and our brains so we can think sharper. And our muscles tense so that we can be in control of our muscles. We can put energy into them faster if we need to run. Our body often has the same response to physical conflict, physical danger, as it does to emotional danger. And it all comes from a lack of feeling safe. So if you're not safe, if you're physically not safe, okay, and and you feel unsafe, it can show in anger. Now, if you're emotionally you feel unsafe, remember we talked about I'm angry equals I'm scared. It almost always actually means something else. I'm scared, I'm hurt, I'm lonely. Really, really, I don't feel safe. You're going to have that same physical response because our body doesn't know when we feel unsafe. It doesn't know if we're actually unsafe or if we just don't like feel safe. So just in case, it's going to give us that that physical response of not being safe, just in case. It's better to just assume that every time it's a physical issue potentially and activate that channel than not activate it one time and, oh no, that's what could have saved your life. So how can we deal with this? Well, by remembering that I'm angry equals I'm scared, we can work on establishing a sense of safety again because safety is the opposite of fear. And if fear and lack of safety often show themselves in anger because it's a more basic emotion, there's more wiring for anger, and it's more socially acceptable to be angry than to say that you're hurt. Like often we we perceive anger as as like strength, but hurt as weakness, okay? So we're going to get anger often. But remember that anger almost always represents fear. So how do we make someone feel safe? There are two main routes that we can go to establish safety. The first is through a physical sensation. So, for example, we we talked in the last episode that feelings come from emotions. They show up as feelings because we feel them like physical sensations. So I'm sure you've heard the saying, like being stabbed in the back. Okay, people say that because it probably feels like what it would be like to be stabbed in the back. Now, I'm not I'm not sure what that feels like, but I like physically, but I can imagine from the way that we describe it what it might look like from from an emotional perspective. Now, we we can use this to trick our feelings because let's say, for example, that we don't feel close to our partners, okay? We say we don't feel close because we feel like there's distance between us. Like, it's a very common saying, I feel I feel distance, I don't feel closeness. Well, because those show us physical sensations, we can create physical sensation to establish that, that closeness again. So, for example, if you're cuddling with your partner and your bodies are touching... They're going to feel close to you because you're actually close to them. They can tell you something like, oh my goodness, I feel so close to you. It's like we're touching. And it's like, yeah, because <laughs> we are, <laughs> you know? It's the, the emotions 
create physical sensations, and we can use those same physical sensations to trick our emotions. So that's the first thing we can do. We can ask our partner, what is something I can do right now to support you, to make you feel better? That's because our partners often know best. And if, if they don't know what to tell us, we can tell them something like, can I give you a hug? Can I hold you? This is going to help them calm down. Remember, first, rescue. This was really big when we talked about the consciousness car. We said that you are like a car with the driver and the passenger, and the passenger is the logical brain, the driver is the, the feeling brain, okay? So we need to connect primarily with feelings to bring the car back on the road before we try to use logic or reason to overcome the problem. Now, if so by creating a sense of safety through like on a through using a physical sensation like holding like hugging to lead our partner to feel safe and close emotionally that's an example of connecting with the driver of trying to get the car back on the road so we can move on and we can keep going we have to get the car on the road back on the road before we can connect to the passenger. And the way that we do that is by targeting the driver. So the, we discussed here a physical way to connect to the driver, and that is through using a physical sensation to elicit an emotional response. For example, like being close to make somebody feel like they're close to us. Another thing that we can do is elicit an emotional reaction that will create a comforting physical response. So an example of this would be to make our partners feel close through an emotional exchange that leads to that physical sensation of feeling close. So physical sensations create emotional ones and emotional then go back and create physical ones. Now how could we do this um, a great, great way is to allow our partners to express themselves. So very often when we feel unsafe, we want to get somebody else's opinion or someone else's perspective so that they know what we're going through. Or, or just that somebody else knows what we're going through on its own can lead us to feel safe because at least, at least someone else knows what's up. It's not like we're, we're alone now. We're a social species. We need to be connected. And we feel bad when, when we're not connected because we need other people to thrive as, as a species. It's been so important in the past that we feel still the strong need to be connected again today. And it's still important today. There's a lot of health effects to feeling connected. So how, what does this look like with our partner? It can include allowing our partner to just talk to us, tell us how they feel, this venting that we mentioned in the last episode, and then to tell them, I'm with you. It's going to be okay. We're going to work on this together. That strengthens the teamwork in the relationship, which also by effect strengthens the friendship. In doing so, you'll feel closer to each other just by trying to get on the same page, trying to understand each other more. We say so much in the show that love is knowing. You can only love somebody as much as you know them. So 
this kind of exercise is just an excellent opportunity by allowing your partner to express themselves and being curious, really trying to understand and modeling compassion with your body language. Because remember, people mirror what we show them. It's just a really, really great tool to connect to your partner, make them feel good, and to help get the driver back on the road before we start to share how, how we feel, okay? Because it, it's so important that we share our side of the story too, but in an effective way. And we just can't be effective when our partner doesn't have the emotional capacity to deal with us. And I know it's hard. It's really hard when, when you need to be strong when your partner's not strong. But by doing so, you help make the situation better. You don't have to be perfect every single time. But if you can just try stay calm when your partner is experiencing a lot of emotions and focus on helping them calm down first, there'll be one person who needs to calm down instead of two people. Okay, just take a deep breath. And it's going to be hard at the beginning, but with a little bit of practice, it will become so much easier. I want to talk now about the work with Paul Mason and Randy Kreger on Stop Walking on Eggshells, some specific tools that we can use in conflict to help diffuse the situation. The suggestions that we gave so far are a little bit more conceptual in general, but here I'm going to give you some very, very specific tools that I loved um, from their book that you can apply right now. So the first really big concept that I want to share with us is four things that I want you to try avoid doing during the conflict, four specific things. These are the four don'ts. The first one is don't defend, okay? Don't defend. If you're trying to prove to somebody else that you didn't do anything wrong, it can make you look a little bit childish sometimes. Have you ever noticed this when you're in a conflict with somebody and they're like, why did you do this? And you're like, I didn't do anything wrong. But he's talking about we're we're baiting them. We're giving we're giving them tools, like things that they can turn against us. So they can say, Oh, well, I can't believe you said this because this other time, you know, you say this happened, but this happened. Like, I don't I can't believe you. Like you you don't you don't keep your word. And then you deny it. You say, What? Like, how dare you say that? You know that's not true. I I can't believe that you would accuse me of such a thing. And then they're like, you can't even see what's in front of you. How are you supposed to be successful in life if you, if you can't even see in front of you and do basic things? You know, obviously you're not aware of your situation. These are, these are like really bad things. They like really hurt our self-esteem if our partner says this to us. But unfortunately, when we get angry and we try to defend, we, we bait them. Remember, the car is going off the road in conflict, okay? They're not there. They're, they're physically not all there. Like a huge part of their brain, okay? The frontal lobe, the signals are not going through the amygdala in an emotional hijacking. We talked about this already from Daniel Goldman. This is what we mean by the car going off the road is intercepting the signals that would otherwise go to the frontal lobe, our neocortex. These people, guys, our partners, when we're when they're angry, they are not thinking, okay? 
That's why we want to focus on rescuing before we try to defend ourselves. You can defend yourself after the conflict when you approach your partner and you say, it's really important for me to share my side of the story. Okay? Don't defend. Don't defend. It may make you look really silly and it just gives you tools to, like, that your partner can use to bait you even more. Another one is don't deny. Okay? Deny. It's similar to defend, like, I didn't do it, like, you're out of your mind, and then your partner's like, yeah, you did, you know, don't say that, and you're like, you know, did not, did to, did not, it's, it's, it's kind of childish, it's, it's, again, it's baiting you to look badly if you try to deny things or defend them in conflict. You can share your point of view once the car is back on the road. Focus on that, modeling the behavior, okay, that you want to see in your partner, the compassion. Remember, mirror neurons, guys. Our partners react the way often that we react. They mirror us, okay? If we come from a place of kindness and warmth and compassion, and I know it's hard to get this because of that mirror. If they come to us with anger, we're going to mirror that anger by default back to them, but through work, we can overcome this default reaction and change the dynamic to one of compassion, okay? Defend and deny is just pouring gas on the fire. It's, it's like making this even stronger, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. The pressure's building, building, building until it explodes, okay? We're also labeling, kind of covering up our partner, when we do this, we talked about labeling in the first episode on conflict uh, resolution in the series where we said that we see the world through stories. We're not subjective in the way that we see the world. And when we label our partner with something, when we tell them, you're such a, like, you're not honest, you're not trustworthy, you're out of your mind. When we start with that, you, we are stopping their venting. It's like they're trying to vent. They're trying to let out pressure and this pressure has been building up inside of them for so long, they really need to get it out. The reason it looks so intense is because it's been held in for two weeks already. If we stop this bent by using these labels, okay, by covering this process, because we don't want to deal with it, it's just going to blow up in our faces. There is a time and place for everything. The time to defend or deny or share your side of the story is after the car gets back on the road. The next big thing that they mentioned in their book, the, the next don't, is don't counterattack. Guys, we so often try to get the partner back. Like, they, they tell us something like, you're so lazy, and then we attack them by saying, you know, you don't do anything, you know, I, I don't even love you anymore. I don't even feel close to you. I can't deal with you. You you hurt me and you make my life miserable. So many people in conflict, they tell their partner things like this. You make my life miserable. Guys, this is an attack. You can't win by attacking. If somebody, if you feel that somebody's attacking you, okay, and like it's not, I don't know, a physical attack like from some stranger, but it's your partner, guys, you don't attack back. It makes it worse. Remember, get the car on the road. If there's one thing you take from this, remember, the emotional brain is the driver. In anger, the amygdala is hijacking the signals from the frontal lobe. The brain is not fully there. 
and we attack and we attack and we provoke that amygdala, this fear response, even more. We need to recognize that the anger comes from fear and a lack of safety. If we attack, we make them feel even less safe. This is, of course, going to make the problem worse. And words hurt, guys. Words stick. When we say negative things to our partner, it damages their self-esteem and it can affect them for years. There's a story I'm going to share with you at the end of the podcast about this example. The last don't that they mention is don't withdraw. Guys, withdraw, it's going to lead to your relationship ending many, many often, like many, many times. And it's also going to hurt you because you're going to keep things in. When people don't, when it doesn't work, the defending, denying, counterattack, they feel like they can't do anything. They don't know what to do. They just clam up or like a turtle, they hide in the shell and they just withdraw. They stop engaging with their partner. This is going to lead to inertia. The more you don't engage, okay, the harder it is to engage in the future. It's going to be really hard to rekindle this connection if you stop engaging with your partner. The other thing that happens is you hold it all in. When you stop engaging, you hold everything in. And we are not advocates of this. Just like your partner needs to vent and you need to have opportunities every day to vent, guys, through asking the questions. How's your love tank? How am I treating you with respect to your limits? It's so important to have this to prevent the pressure from building up. If you stop letting the pressure out by, by sharing how you feel in a respectful and constructive way when the time is right, okay? And if you just stop engaging with your partner in general, you are going to feel awful. We are social creatures. We need each other to survive. We need connection. The other thing is that the fight that you're experiencing may be because you don't have a strong connection already, Guys, we need connection. Remember, we said anger is the easiest way to evoke emotion in an exchange between two partners. So if there, there's a void, there's not a lot of emotion and connection already, the partner's going to use anger to create that connection. And it's not right. It's not like they need connection. So they're using anger to get the connection. And it's a really good sign because if they come to you with anger, at least they're trying to connect with you. I know that it's hard, but not in the case of extreme or abuse, okay? Not, not in the case of this, but much of the time, this just trying to connect, at least they're giving you the opportunity to engage. This could end with you holding each other, okay? And coming to understand each other in all new light, really asking each other, how you feel, what what caused it, getting to the heart of the pressure and making a plan to get the pressure down. It's connection. It's an opportunity to strengthen your emotional bank account and become close again. But if you withdraw, you make it so hard to connect. And if you stop connecting, your relationship is going to fizzle. You're going to wake up one morning after lack, lack, lack of connection, your friendship is going to deteriorate and you're going to wonder, why am I in this if I don't have any connection? 
but it doesn't have to get there if you stay in the moment, okay? Don't withdraw. Instead, say, honey, what can I do to support you? Okay, and remember those I statements. It seems to me that, and just describe what you see. Use reflective listening. We want to question back what they say, like like in a way of understanding. So for example, they say, I feel like I don't matter. I feel like you don't value me. I feel like I don't have control over anything in my life. I feel like I'm going nowhere. Honey, it seems to me that you're really sad and really hurt and scared and understand that you feel like you're not going anywhere and you have so much that you're holding inside. Is it true? Or like, did I get it right? And they're like, yeah. Guys, connection, connection. You're building that emotional bank account. Also, guys, if you if you don't, if you withdraw and then later when things calm down, you don't state how you feel and you state your side of the story, you're also creating an opportunity for your limits to be breached. Remember we said the three things of an effective limit are consistently enforced, clear, and well advertised, okay? Now, that consistently enforced is really important here because if it's not okay for you, for your partner to call you certain names, okay, you can't, you can't not enforce that. If you withdraw and every time your partner curses at you, you don't say anything. You're sending them the message that it's okay and they're going to keep doing it and it's going to completely deteriorate your self-esteem. The better thing to say is if, if they're really, really in a state of anger and you recognize that they're not in control, okay, don't fight back. Just focus first on helping them calm down. Then when they're calm, say, honey, I felt terrible the way you cursed at me and be specific remember clear 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 use these words and just say how you felt i felt like a pain in my chest i felt tension in my body i felt really bad it hurt me so much those words they felt like 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 just so much pressure and i would like it if you tried to not use them. It's really not okay to call me those things. Please don't ever call me those things again. Guys, that's sending the message. We were clear, consistently enforced, now well advertised. If you don't have a limits board already, add that to your limits board. Make one, guys. It's on the it's on your wall. You can look at it and you just know what's okay and not okay and your partner will get the message. Maybe it'll slip and they'll call you that one more time, okay? But if you consistently enforced, they will stop. Okay, especially if you build that connection, if you really, really show them that you care. Okay, people love it when we care for them. If they feel that we value them and we care, they're going to be more inclined to try hard. People like rewarding people who make their life better. So by helping them feel accepted, feel safe, they're going to feel like we're adding value to their life. They're going to want to work much harder to make us feel good, okay? Don't defend, don't deny, don't counterattack, and don't withdraw. Now, there are these other tools that I want to share with you that uh, Paul Mason and Randy Kreger talk about in their book, which I think are super, super helpful with diffusing situations of conflict and anger, and they give you a bit more control so you don't feel like your partner is 
suffocating you or, or taking you over, okay? You can use these in combination with the other strategies that we talked about, like through the holding, um, telling them I'm with you, I'm here, um, listening, reflective listening, um, like by asking back questions, using those I statements and describing what you see. We're giving you a whole, whole toolbox. Find what works best for you and your partner, and then eventually you'll get better over time. Remember in stages of a relationship, we have a bit of a struggle phase. Before we get to working, you have to try these things out and find what works for you before um, settling into it, getting into working. And remember, what works one day may not work the next day. It makes it super exciting. We can learn more about our partner and that's why we have maintenance, okay? So here are these diffusing techniques that you can use. The first one is to agree with part of the statement that your partner is telling you. And what this does is it makes them feel like you're listening and it makes them feel like they're not completely crazy, okay? So let's say your partner tells you, I can't believe that you want to go out with your friends. You're, you barely spend any time with me. I feel so like abandoned when, when you go out and I just hate being alone. Okay, so you can, you can agree with part of the statement. You can say, yes, I go out with my friends and it leaves you feeling abandoned sometimes. But it's really important for me to have some time with my friends. It makes me feel like I'm getting what I need. I love you and I'm, I'm here for you, but I also need some time for myself too. So, so what you're doing there is you're, you're acknowledging that they, they said something. So like they, they said, you go out, it makes me feel abandoned. They want to hear that you heard it. We're, they're often looking when people are upset. They want to feel understood. It helps them feel safe when they feel understood, like someone's listening to them and understands their position and that they're not alone with their thoughts. So you can agree with part of the statement. Another, so, uh, some more examples of this are things like your partner is really upset because it was your night to make dinner and you just didn't make dinner, okay? So your partner tells you, like, oh my goodness, you know, I always do my night. Why don't you do your night? Um, there's no dinner on the table and this is awful. I was so excited that we would have dinner together. And what are we going to do now? Okay, so let's say you're busy or something. But so you can agree with part of what they're saying. So you can say, yes, I didn't make dinner tonight and it was my night to make dinner and you were really looking forward to it. And I see that you feel awful right now because of that. I got like really, uh, like, I'm sorry. Um, would you be up to go out to a restaurant or order in? I want to help make the situation better. So like you're agreeing with them. They're like, wow, they hear me. Okay. Um, and you can also use this while parenting. So if your child is like, you never let me go out or like, I can't believe you don't let me go out past midnight. You know, I have a life. You can say, yes, I don't let you go out past midnight. But um, 
you're, you know, it's important for you to sleep and it will help you do well in school. And when I was your age, I had to go to bed at 10. So you're lucky you can even go out until midnight. Okay, just by agreeing, we make them feel a bit understood. The other thing is agreeing with the possibility that your partner, when they're upset, could be right. So maybe you don't, you don't think that they're right, but you can agree with the possibility that they may be right. So let's say they tell you something like, you shouldn't be going out with your friends and having drinks. It's inappropriate for partners to like drink alcohol when they're away from their partner. It's disrespectful. Um, it's like, it's not professional. It's not like, it's just not right. Like, I can't believe that you go and you drink alcohol. You shouldn't be drinking alcohol for fun, especially like when you're away from me and going to bars without me. Okay, let's say that they think that you shouldn't be going out with your friends to a bar, like if you're not with them. Okay, so we, we're agreeing with the possibility that they could be right. We could say something like, yes, some people think that it's not okay to drink alcohol for fun. Some people think it's not okay to go with their friends, like to a bar without their partner. But I'm not one of those people. It's just not how I was raised kind of thing. Where, like, it will be hard for them to hear, like, I'm not one of those people. Maybe instead you could say something like, or I don't know, like, think, like, fill in the gaps, what, what would help in your relationship. But just agree with the possibility that they're right. Like, yes, some people think that it's super important that they're together with their partner. They don't consume alcohol for fun. Like, like you, you could be right. Like, some people think this, okay? But this is why it doesn't work for me. Okay. Agree with the possibility they could be right. Another thing is often, guys, people just want to feel heard. Just recognize that they have an opinion. Okay, it will make them feel heard. Let's say they tell you something like, we should be going to dance classes together and spending more time cuddling. It makes me feel like you don't even love me, that you don't want to do this program. Um, I, I really think this program is super important. And then you could say something like, I see that you have strong opinions about synchronized like dance with couples, ballroom dance, and you think it's super important for couples to do this together. But I just, I just don't feel comfortable, okay, like doing it. I mean, it would be best to, like, work to accommodate each other's needs. Um, but, like, just recognize they have an opinion is a really great way to make them feel like they're heard, okay? Which is going to make them feel better. Another example of this is, like, with children. If your children say something like, I can't believe... You make me go to bed at 10. All my friends go to bed at midnight. I want to go to bed at midnight. Why do you shut off the Wi-Fi at 10? This is crazy. Okay, recognize they have an opinion. I see that you believe that children should be going to bed at midnight and able to use Wi-Fi whenever they want. Yeah, like, okay, at least somebody hears me out. But I, as your parent, 
believe that it's important that we go to sleep early. It's going to help our brains grow, help us do better in school. And then when you're older, you can go to bed whenever you'd like. Okay. It's your life. But when you're 10, it's like, it, you know, this is what's going to, this is what I know to be best for you. But just, just recognize. The other thing is to use gentle humor. Okay. Gentle humor um, when it's appropriate, when you feel like it's appropriate. So if your partner gets mad at you, for example, let's say you want to have a barbecue and the gas canister, if you have a gas barbecue, is empty and um, you were supposed to fill it up on the way home, but you forgot to fill it up. You could say something like if, if your partner tells you, oh my God, we're supposed to have this barbecue tonight and we are supposed to have guests over. How are we going to grill this fish? You could say something like, well, we've always been meaning to try sushi. Kind of like when it's appropriate, humor is also a really great way to diffuse tension. So these tools here, I hope that they can help you diffuse conflict in addition to the other toolbox that you've learned so far on the show. Agree with part of the statement. Agree with the possibility that your critic could be right that your partner could be right. Recognize that your partner has an opinion, okay? And use gentle humor when it's appropriate. And just to review the, the ones we mentioned before, don't defend, don't deny, don't counterattack, and don't withdraw. The opposite of these would be like, listen, be curious to learn, to understand, Try to establish safety and connection instead of more conflict and remain engaged, but when the time is right to share how you feel. First get the car on the road and then continue. And then again, agree with part of the statement, agree with the possibility that our partner could be right, recognize that they have an opinion and use gentle humor when appropriate. I hope that you will find these tools helpful whenever you experience conflict with your partner. And you can also use them in parenting. Remember to take a deep breath, okay? It's going to help you relax when you're in this. And it's going to be hard at the beginning, but it's going to get better with time. Finally, another thing that you can remember is that you always have a choice about your feelings. Viktor Frankl emphasizes this in Man's Search for Meaning, a brilliant book about his experience in a concentration camp and his understanding of psychology and the brain, he writes that man always has a choice to choose how they want to feel. Their feelings are up to them and in their control. And, and what I mean by this is however your partner, let's say they're, they're trying to spite you, they're trying to make you feel bad or something, like you always have control over how you feel inside. Just take a deep breath. Just try to relax and try to model what you want to see in your passion. Compassion. Try to model what you want to see in your partner. Sorry, compassion, care, understanding. And I'll get the situation calm and then you can move on. Another thing I want to mention that 
John Gottman talks about in The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work is reasons why conflicts persist over time. So sometimes you think that you dealt with something, you think that it's over with, and then it, it keeps coming back. Your partner is still dissatisfied. Your partner keeps bringing this conflict to you. What do you do? Well, John Gottman in, in this book suggests that some of the biggest reasons for persistent gridlocked problems that just keep coming is unrealized dreams. It's a suggestion that all of us have these deep dreams and desires within us of things that we want to accomplish, things that are really important to defining who we are. And if, if this is gridlock over this issue, it may be a dream that our partners really, really want to fulfill and they feel like they just can't do it. It's something that they can't give up in their relationship. They can't give up for the relationship. It's so important to who they are. And, and it, if it's so important, it's going to keep, keep coming back. We can't change the dreams of our partners. Like if they've always, always had a, well, they're, they're fundamental, they're deep dreams. For example, if they always dreamed of being a parent and it's so, so important for them to become parents and, and we don't want to have children, we're not going to, it's going to be like almost impossible to change that regardless of however many number of conflicts we overcome using these tools, our partner is still going to push the idea that they want children with us. Okay, for example, or it could be another thing like raising the child according to a certain religion or having a certain lifestyle or way of life, etc. The important thing here is to just come from a place of curiosity and understanding. If our partner really, really wants something, okay, it's like a fundamental dream, a driver of who they are, we need to think about how we can be a part of that. We don't have to do the dream always. Like, for example, let's say that they really want to climb a certain mountain. We don't have to climb the mountain with them. Although participating in helping our partners achieve their dreams is some of the most beautiful things you can do in a relationship. It adds so much value when two partners come together and help each other recognize and realize each other's dreams and support each other. It's kind of like the ultimate intimacy connection that you can have in a relationship, but not just sharing your worldview with your partner, but your partner helping make your worldview come true. So if, if conflicts persist, just try and understand, is this a deep-rooted, fundamental dream that the partner has that they really, really, really want to pursue? And like nothing is going to stop them from wanting to pursue this. If so, we need to accommodate. We need to think how we can work around it, how we can work with them to help it come true, what we can do to support them. Our partners often know what's best, okay? So we just need to ask them, and, and also, encourage, I encourage both of you just to think about it because so many of us have unrealized dreams and passions and guys, basic things too, like limits that we don't even think about ever. And this is so bad because how can we expect people to treat us a certain way if we don't even know the way we want to be treated? Remember, we talked about limits as boundaries that make us who we are, that give us a sense of purpose and identity. And we talked about limits not being met as the cause for most fights. It's people like something that they can't give up. It's just pushing, 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 and then they explode. But that's why setting those limits, okay, and having those conversations. How's your left tank? How, 
Do you feel I'm treating you with respect to your limits are so important to establish that connection, to prevent fights, and to make things easier? Take some time now to think about how you can apply all these tools that we talked about in your relationship. Think about what some of your unrealized dreams are, some of the things you've always hoped to do, those things that don't disappear. As much as you put them away, they keep coming to you, and you're kind of in gridlock with your partner about them because it's so important for you to have it, but you just feel like it's going nowhere. And you keep bringing it up because you can't live without it. Think about this and think about ways that you and your partner can support each other to make these dreams more of a reality. If it's something totally insane, okay, like unrealistic, like you want to go and colonize a settlement on Saturn, okay, like then no, your partner can't help you with that. But if it's something like I've always wanted to have tea in the afternoon, for like 15 minutes, you know, on the weekends with my partner and like just connect and talk. I've always wanted to go on a family vacation. I've always wanted to um, write a book. Okay, these are things that you can help your partner. If your partner really, really, really wants to write a book and their whole life they've wanted to write one, they're going to feel drained, like suffocated because it's something that they're not willing to give up and it's going to cause a lot of gridlock. They're going to say, I don't feel satisfied. I feel like something's missing and it's going to keep, keep coming back in conflict and other ways. Conflict is often just a way to vent, remember. So when we, when we hold things in for so long, they vent, often we hold in these dreams, okay? Getting those dreams out and thinking about ways that we can work with them will also help us to prevent fights, especially those ones that are gridlocked and keep coming back. It's so important to prevent fights because words hurt, guys. Things that happen in fights, as I'm sure you know, as I'm sure you can think about in your own experience, can affect your self-esteem, your sense of yourself, your confidence, and more for years for years, we talk about bullying and why it's so harmful for children. It can be harmful for adults too. That's why it's so important that we work to prevent them. There is a short story about this that I want to share with you now. It's called The Bag of Nails. Have you heard it before? It's a parable. I'm not actually sure who wrote this. A lot of people on the internet, from what I understand, don't know as well who wrote it. It's a mystery. If you know, send us an email at contact at learnlove.ca. It would be great to know. Um, but it's really interesting. So I want to share it with you. It goes like this. There was once a boy who had a bad temper. His father gave him a bag of nails and told him that every time he loses his temper, he must hammer a nail into the back of the fence that they have in their backyard. The first day, he drove 37 nails into the fence. Over the next few weeks, as he learned to control his anger, the number of nails hammered gradually dwindled down. He discovered it was easier to hold his temper than to drive those nails into the fence. Finally, the day came when the boy didn't lose his temper at all. He told his father about it, and the father suggested that the boy now pull out one nail for every day that he was able to hold his temper. The days passed and the young boy was finally able to tell his father that all the nails were gone. 
The father took his son by the hand and led him to the fence. He said, You've done very well, my son, but look at all the holes in the fence. The fence will never be the same. When you say things in anger, they leave a scar like this one. You can put a knife in a man and draw it out. It won't matter how many times you say, I'm sorry. The wound is still there. A verbal wound is just as bad as a physical one for many people. So next time, before you say something that you may regret, remember this story. Deal with the situation in a way that you and the person that you're angry with can learn from. Don't make the mistake of losing a friend or your partner or a potential lover over something so insignificant. These gems are all too precious. Thank you so much for listening to this story, The Bag of Nails. I found it really inspirational, and I hope that you did too. Let's summarize everything that we talked about on the show today. We started off by reviewing the last episode um, and building up on it. We talked about mirroring again, how we want to model what we want to see in our partners, that the emotional brain is in charge and we want to connect on an emotional level. We talked about, again, that anger is primarily a lack of safety and we can establish safety in two ways, either through a physical sensation of feeling close that elicits an emotional sensation of, of feeling close. Okay, or the other way around, eliciting an emotional response that creates a physical sensation um, that leads to feeling understood, accepted, that they're not alone. Okay, we, we are often fearful that we are alone in our struggles and people don't understand us. The world is changing rapidly around us. It's very competitive now to get a job and everything. There's so many things that we struggle with. But by sharing them, we can feel that we're not alone in them, that people understand us. It's going to make us feel safer, better about it. Like we're going to be okay because someone else is there, but they can only be there for us if we share. We then talked about some specific tools with examples on things that you can apply to your uh, diffusing technique, uh, toolbox. Try the different ones and let us know which one worked the best for you at contact at learnlove.ca. Those four don'ts was don't defend, don't deny, don't counterattack, and don't withdraw. Remember, we're all about encouraging venting to help calm down the situation, get the car back on the road before we deal with the passenger. We then talked about other tools that you can use, not just in your relationship, but also in parenting. Agree with part of the statement. Agree with the possibility that our partner could be right. Recognize that our partner has an opinion and use gentle humor when it's appropriate. You're the best judge and your partner is the best judge on what works best for your relationship to have a conversation. When times are good, guys, when times are good, you can ask each other, what works, okay? Don't just wait for them to for there to be a problem. It's like with heart disease. A lot of people wait till their first heart attack before they cut down salt and, and saturated fats, okay, and sugar. It doesn't have to be that way. And remember that through building up your emotional bank account, through connecting more, you're going to build up that sense of safety 
okay? And it's just going to be less likely that that conflict will arise. When you allow yourself to vent in a, in a respectful, constructive way, like the ways we talked about in this episode, in the last episode, you set limits, okay? Then you are on the right track to prevent most of these fights because as we talked about in the bag of nails, words can really hurt, okay? They leave marks on the fence. We talked about the importance of not holding things in two because they build and they compound within ourselves, they damage our self-esteem and they lead to the destruction of the relationship. At least our partner is trying to connect with us. We're all about encouraging connection. Finally, we talked about unrealized dreams, that gridlocked problems that keep arising could be related to a dream that just needs to be realized, okay? It's so important for your partner to realize it. And maybe if you're dissatisfied, it could be because you don't, you, you need something realized for you, okay? Think about it. Like, what, what are your dreams? What do you need? What are you not willing to give up, okay? This will all help you feel more satisfied and prevent more fights. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. In the next episode, we're going to talk about a new perspective on conflict resolution from Sue Johnson in her book, Hold Me Tight, the three most common ways that people deal with, with conflict and anger. That is, if you've heard about them before, protest polka, find the bad guy, and freeze and flee. It's super interesting. All of this is just adding new tools, adding new layers to your understanding of conflict resolution to make it easier for you, okay, when it arises, because in the best relationships, it arises too, okay, but we can make our lives and our partner's lives so much easier if we learn these tools that we're not taught in school, guys, this whole podcast, really important life lessons that we're not taught in school, we apply them, I hope that it will add meaning, add joy, and help you build a healthier relationship and stronger family. Thank you so, so much for listening. If you have any questions about the show, feedback, or there's something you want to see specifically, send us an email at contact at learnlove.ca. I read all those emails. I'm so excited to see yours. Check out our blog, learnlove.ca slash blog for lots of content, new blogs with infographics, pictures, and we're working on some quizzes too to help you understand the content, get a new perspective on it. And also stay tuned for our Udemy course in development. Thank you so, so much for listening to the show. I can't wait to hear your feedback and I look forward to welcoming you in the next episode.